Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. and Mrs. America, and all the ships at sea. Welcome to Travel Talk Radio and Theater. Our guest this evening is A.J. Holmes. Uh, A.J. is, is quite a, a talented performer. We saw him recently in New York at an off-Broadway theater at the Soho Playhouse, and uh, he gets around quite a bit. Uh, I would suggest when you do come in, you have your uh, R-rated earmuffs on, uh, because the show gets a little a little interesting at times. But uh, I found that we were there, the entire audience really enjoyed it. AJ, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Bob. Good to be here. And thank you for that disclaimer. Okay. I appreciate it. <laughs> well, let me, let me ask you this. Tell us something about your background and how you, you personally got into entertainment. Uh, musical theater. Yeah, I was I was definitely the uh, poster child for, for musical theater uh, uh, aficionado when I was a kid growing up. I, I couldn't get enough of Sondheim. I picked I picked him for every single school project uh, through high school and beyond. Uh, so I, I was just a, a big geek about it. You know, I was reading books about uh, workshop processes for Big the Musical just for fun on the side. Uh, my mom directed a community theater, uh, so I had plenty of opportunities to be in shows. My dad played piano and music directed and sang and did a little soft shoe himself, so uh, we were a musical theater family, you know. <laughs> we were the Holmes family, and they, they we would joke sometimes and call ourselves the Von Holmes family singers. In fact, <laughs> I believe I believe my dad even uh, incorporated uh, his company uh, like his, <laughs> by that name. So <laughs> as the Von Holmes, <laughs> are you folks yeah, still entertaining? We, oh yeah, I mean uh, you know for for uh, for fun. They, uh, we got a piano in the living room, and we would always uh, sing whenever we would have company growing up, which I talk about in the show. And uh, we would go over to our other friend's house, and they'd have pianos, and we'd perform there. And, you know, it's, it's a lifetime thing. And, they, uh, yeah, they still uh, – my mom is, I believe, the president of the Conejo Players Theater right now. Um, and she, uh, she, does, she directs the show there every year or two. And, and what theater uh, is that now? The Conejo Players Theater in the, in the Conejo Valley in Southern California, north on the 101 from Los Angeles. Yeah. All right. Do any of our West Coast there, listeners yeah. out there hear that? You can make a good connection and probably see a very good show. That's right. That's right. Debbie Holmes frequently directing there. And I grew up doing shows there. You know, I, I, I was in her shows she directed. I was in other children's shows there. I, a big part of my childhood was, was spent there. Uh, and, you know, we, at that theater, we'd all do strike. We'd all show up and build the set. We'd all paint the set. You know, God knows this is a community theater, doesn't have any money, so we all did it ourselves, and uh, that's where I got the bug for it, and it's just, uh, it's refused to let me go, I guess. <laughs> okay. Well, you know, show business, getting into show business is hard enough as it is. To get into a full cast uh, and crew production is, is a difficult thing. Whatever prompted you to develop a one-man show where you're doing 80 minutes on your own? Well, the endurance of it appealed to me, for sure. Uh, and, uh, you know, it came from many years of me uh, performing on the road in big-budget commercial musicals with large casts and orchestras. And, uh, you know, that, that is where I, I was doing that eight times a week for, you know, the majority of my 20s in different shows. And uh, I wanted to try something different. I wanted to get kind of as far away from that as, as possible while still in the, the world that I loved. And uh, also in these times, you know, trying to self-produce this thing, uh, not having to pay any other musicians or any other cast members is certainly an advantage. 
Right. Well, you, you had a lead in a young man named Josh. I don't recall his last name. Um, uh, I assume that as your lead in uh, to your show, he was being paid. He was a very talented young man from what I understand. Oh, that's true. You know, I am paying all my opening acts. Yeah, jo- Josh Breckenridge, yeah. Uh, he, he's a very talented guy. We were on tour together in the Book of Mormon uh, all across the country. And, yeah, now he's on Broadway and Come From Away, and he's just one of the most talented uh, singers and just uh, overall, you know, just artists that I know. Um, and I, I hadn't heard him do any of that stuff live yet, but I, I just knew he would be amazing, you know. Uh, and it was very nice that he came. Yeah, the, having the guest acts every night, the rotating list of people is really one of the, the coolest, been one of the coolest parts of this show. Uh, now, is Josh uh, an old friend of yours? Are you out of contact with him? How did you bring him and the others in? Yeah, we knew each other from tour, you know, from being in Book of Mormon together. Uh, we were living, you know, uh, on the road for, gosh, a year and a half probably. Um, so you get pretty tight with, with people you do that with very quickly, um, especially on the road. road sure. Yeah, and, you know, after a Broadway show, people go home. You know, people go home to their apartments. They have their lives that they live around the show. When you're on tour, that's that's what you got. So you're generally out uh, for dinner or drinks after the show most nights, and uh, you live your lives with these people. You know, they're your closest relationships. Well, Josh did a terrific job of opening. Who else do you have as an opening? And are they in any other shows as well? Yeah, we've had a great mix of people. I mean, uh, you know, I've had a few college friends come uh, open for me. I had uh, Brittany Coleman uh, come open for me. She was uh, uh, someone I I went to University of Michigan with who nowadays is uh, in company on Broadway. And she sang some Sondheim and was absolutely incredible, one of the best voices I've ever heard. Um, I'm just lucky enough to have gotten to know her when I was 18, you know. And uh, Darren Chris, who also went to University of Michigan with us, uh, who was blown up on Glee and uh, through Starkid, has uh, also came and was generous enough to open for me, even though he, that was way below his pay grade. <laughs> you know, uh, still very kind of him uh, to lend me some legitimacy and uh, some attention. And, uh, yeah, we had Taylor Tomlinson come and open for me, another comedian who I'm just amazed took the time, you know, to, to, to uh, support me. Uh, Dan Soder, Chris Gethard. Uh, some incredibly uh, well-established people, you know, who I, I, I was sort of baffled were taking the time to do it. Um, and then we've had people who were just starting out, like Sid Matisse was awesome. Um, and then we have close friends of, of mine, like my director, Caitlin Cook, is an incredible musical comedian in her own right. So she she opened for me. So we change it every single show, you know. So we hope people come back and see multiple openers. This weekend we got a – who do we got? We got uh, Kat Cohen, who runs the show at Club Cumming, Alan Cummings Club. Uh, in Manhattan, and uh, she's an incredible musical comedian, so she's going to come do a couple shows. And Dylan Adler is, is opening, and Mateo Lane, an awesome, uh, awesome comedian as well, performs at the cellar all the time. So, yeah, really a cool roster. <laughs> I, I love talking them up because, uh, it it, yeah, I feel so uh, so in the game with, with these people uh, surrounding me, you know. I would assume that helps you up your game as well if you're – coming in after somebody like uh, like Josh Breckenridge or some of these other talented people, you know, you can't let them overshadow you. You've got to really put put it all in. That's exactly right. Yeah, when when Taylor Tomlinson was doing her her comedy set before I came on, I was I for the first time I was genuinely nervous that I I was like I don't think I will be as funny as I need to be now to follow this, you know. Okay, uh does does equity come into this? Uh, you know, or is, are these off-Broadway shows non-equity? 
that that is a, a great question. I, I wouldn't know about that, honestly. <laughs> All right. Well, if anybody from equity is listening, forget we just discussed that. <laughs> okay. Now, uh, you know, I have I have difficulty remembering what I had for breakfast in the morning. Your show is <laughs> rapid fire. You're what about eighty minutes, an hour and a half. How in heaven's name do you prepare that material and remember it? And you didn't miss a beat. Thank you so much. I mean, there have certainly been a couple shows where, especially in the earlier parts of the run where I did miss a beat, but I had a good team behind me helping me through. I mean, yeah, memorization has always come to me very easily. Uh, and, the, you know, the hardest part really is letting go of the exact script and being open to just improvising with the audience in the moment. Because uh, it should feel, it shouldn't feel like a script, right? It should feel like the first time I've said these things every time. And uh, that gets tougher the more you say something. Uh, so I try to really not think about the lines. It's just like it gets into your bones. You know, you listen to something in order enough times, and there's a rhythm and a pacing to things that really just start to seep in. And I've always memorized by doing rather than sitting in front of a, a notebook or a script and, and reading and going back and forth over and over. I've just done it enough times to the point where it is memorized. Um, and I, I think I'm just lucky that way because it has not to toot my own home too much, but of course that's, you saw the show. I do that plenty. Um, I, uh, I, yeah, I just, I, the more I just read something out loud, you know, I had a teacher who told me that the sooner you get up and put something on its feet and start doing it, uh, the more you'll learn and the faster you'll learn it. And I've taken that to heart. I, I think I could probably sometimes stand to do a little more uh, prep work, you know, and, and tracking things out written down beforehand. But um, luckily in this one, I mean, Caitlin, my director, was so helpful to organize my thoughts and organize my brain and help lend me that very important step because uh, it did get tough. You know, w w without a collaborator, uh, it was, uh, it's difficult to organize uh, my thoughts uh, around a certain thing. My, I don't work very well <laughs> at organization. You know, I'm a little too ADD. So she was very helpful for that and, and allows me to, like, gives me the, the counterweight so that I can do what I do best and not have to worry about uh, that, that as much, to trust that it's being organized by a steady hand, you know. Do you write your own material? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And, and Caitlin certainly has been helping uh, with, with, this, uh, with this round. We collaborated on a couple of the songs uh, that we wrote later in the rehearsal process. And she helped me uh, nip and tuck a lot, change change a bunch of lyrics, and and certainly uh, shape the uh, the script and, and help write the script as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the, you know, I, I write all the songs, and uh, and uh, it's all born from you know my story, obviously, and 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 a lot of it is developed on its feet on stage. And then Caitlin will be writing down uh, literally what I'm saying and, and things that I'll say in real time or make up on the spot or, or that come into play in certain performances because of certain energy, energetic shifts in the room. Uh, they'll just, I'll, I'll show up and I'll look at the script the next day and they'll already be in there, you know? So it, it, we have a, we have a, we have a rhythm going back and forth. And if she thinks of a line that can capitalize on something I've said in the moment on stage, she's like, Oh, you set up this nice premise and we can get a, a few other punchlines uh, out of that. Then she'll throw some my way and we'll, we'll keep talking it back and forth like that. So there's quite a bit of improv in it then. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it, it probably, you know, my sister saw it a couple of times and she said, uh, yeah, I thought all these moments were improv, but then I saw it again and I realized, don't nope, and you just make it seem like it's improv. And it's because at one time they were improv and then they became codified into these moments that we can sort of trip ourselves into. 
you know, and of course that is a lot of what the show is about is, is going, what part of this is genuine? What part of this is happening in the moment? Uh, what part of this is spontaneous or are you just being made to believe that? And where does the truth begin and your and perception end, you know, uh, and where's that line? Um, we were always trying to get this one moment in the show where we could, you know, I, I could do something and then, uh, you know, find it so funny that I would break into laughter on stage and then have a moment of looking back at the audience and going, oh, you thought that was real, huh? You thought, that, <laughs> you thought I really was breaking there. Oh, interesting, interesting. I see. Well, you should probably watch more, more closely, you know. Um, we never quite found the, the moment for that, but there is one time where I do that. I don't explain it, but it definitely happens. I break at the same moment every night because it just feels most satisfying. And, uh, you know, there's little tricks like that. And, and, and I'm trying to, you know, in some way explore those themes. Okay, well, some of your material, I, I think putting it politely, is rather risque. Have you gotten any uh, kickback or backlash from, from any of the audience, the uh, priests, rabbis, the Taliban, anybody? <laughs> I, uh, I don't think the Taliban are too interested in me, uh, thankfully. Um, I, <laughs> I haven't really gotten much kickback. I mean, I started doing it in... Uh, at Edinburgh Fringe, you know, and, and I am, uh, though I, I'll grant you, you know, I do, I do curse like a sailor in this thing. And I'm talking about some, uh, you know, there's some sexual topics I'm talking about that are a bit off, off color. But, uh, you know, when you start something at Fringe, there, there's a pretty high bar for something to be considered shocking. You know, <laughs> there's, there's a lot going on over there. Uh, and in Adelaide Fringe, too, in Australia, there, there's uh, some pretty truly uh, makes your jaw drop uh, stuff I've never seen before just as a human being. So I, uh, yeah, I, I, you know, coming to Off-Broadway, I think is probably the first time that I've had to consider that. And we used to have a closing number that was all about bowel movements. And well, we realized after a few performances at Soho that it just didn't feel right anymore. And maybe that was why, you know, I think we had outclassed ourselves by, by being put up at the playhouse. Uh, but, uh, you know, I try at least though while I'm cursing to make sure that the point of view and the intention is coming from a place that is somewhat wholesome. And I think part of the reason the humor is there is because you have a, a wholesome quest for, like, is this okay that I feel this way? That I, Can I say this? Is this all right? And there's a, there's a genuineness, hopefully, and an authenticity to, like, the worry that comes with expressing these ideas along with the craft nature of the ideas themselves and trying to walk that line. I think uh, definitely I feel the nights when there are more uh, people my age there and versus an older generation, Some it, it tips in different directions based on the performance, and there's definitely a different response. And, you know, I, I've had, like, the night you were there, I think, was super raucous, and then I've had other nights that are very quiet and where I'm really going, like, oh, God, have I, have I so completely offended them? But then, sure enough, we get to the end of the show, and uh, uh, some people are standing, and it seems like, they were just listening way more intently. You know, some nights it feels like a comedy show. Some nights it feels like more of an off-Broadway play uh, or musical, I guess. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm well, still kind of figuring out where, where exactly I'd sit. I'll tell you, the night I was there, I, I like to scan the audience to see what their reaction is. I'm sure you're doing the same thing from the stage. Uh, yeah. Off at uh, stage, stage left were two Muslim young ladies wearing hijabs. And hmm. I watched them uh, when you went into some of your numbers, like that long-running number uh, of the kind of boy, I won't use the word at this point, even though we're not bound by the general uh, restrictions. 
But right. they were laughing, and that that impressed me. That I thought two people who apparently were somewhat religious fundamentalists were there, and they were enjoying it. Oh sure, I mean uh, yeah, I mean they all they live in New York. I actually think I know the two girls you're talking about. They they're uh, they're fans who have been very supportive uh, over multiple shows. You know they've come to uh, uh, my director Caitlin Cook and I have a show in uh, Brooklyn. Uh, every month it's a variety comedy show called Fake Birthday that we do at Littlefield and uh, aj-home.com for tickets <laughs> as always uh, but yeah we, we've been doing that show for the last four months and uh, yeah they've come many times and, and stuck around afterwards and gotten pictures and been very supportive and they're, they're lovely and uh, you know I think people come from all sorts of backgrounds but uh, they're, they're all growing up in Brooklyn kind of walking around the same street uh, and uh sense of humor is, is not too far off. So, uh, I, yeah, I, I don't know. I, 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 I'm, I, I didn't think too much of it, to, to truth be told. <laughs> but, uh, but I'm glad they're enjoying it. Okay, I think we're going to have to take a break for a moment so we can pay some bills and run a couple of commercials. Uh, this is Travel Talk Radio and Theater with our guest, A.J. Holmes, and we will be back in just a minute or two. Hey, folks, if you are in the Forest Hill Swap Meet area every Saturday and Sunday... Don't forget to visit El Zacatecano Taco Stand. They sell tacos, quesadillas, tostadas, and tortas. The tacos are still $1 each. Raul and Selena Lomeli. They're open from 8 a.m. to 2 p.m. at the Forest Hill Swap Meet, 3402 Mansfield Highway, Forest Hill, Texas, at the Forest Hill Swap Meet. Hamblor, the god of hamburgers, set out to create the ultimate burger with all the flavors of a steakhouse. 100% black Angus beef, crispy onion strings, A1 steak sauce, and rumble blue cheese. It was glorious. The new steakhouse $6 burger from Carl's Jr. Tastes like it's made by the god of hamburgers, and that's just the way it is. What do we got? Captain, there's no sign of them anywhere. Dogs aren't picking up anything. I'll flush them out. Red Robin! Yum! Answer the call at Red Robin with an Oktoberfest burger. Fire grilled and topped with black forest ham. Melted Swiss and beer mustard onions on a pretzel bun. Served with bottomless steak fries. Red Robin! Yum! Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to Travel Talk Radio and Theater. Uh, our guest this evening is a very, very talented player, uh, A.J. Holmes, who's got a show running in the play, the Soho Playhouse right now. When is the show running until, A.J.? Two more weekends through October 16th, Thursday through Saturday night. And the time? Uh, yeah, we got every night at 7 p.m. and Saturdays we got two shows, uh, one at 7 and one at 9 p.m. Okay, can uh, well, where can I get tickets? You can get tickets at aj-home.com. <laughs> Easy okay. to remember because it's my name. That's how I remember it. Anyway, you can remember <laughs> it however you like. aj-home.com. <laughs> H-O-L-M-E-S. That's right. Okay. Your background in, uh, info that I was given indicates that you were in the Book of Mormon. That's a rather irreverent show also. What did you take from that show for your one-man production of anything? And how long were you oh, in that show? 
Gosh, I was in that show for a long time. I uh, about five and a half years uh, from the time I started till the time I was uh, totally done. Uh, I was in, I believe, six different companies of the Book of Mormon. I went to Australia. I went to the West End, London. I did the Broadway company, and I was on two different national tours uh, in two different cities in Australia, uh, different openings. So yeah, lots of lots of different companies. It was a good portion of my twenties was dominated by that by that show. I played Elder Cunningham, the lovable goofball who uh, completely misinterprets and fabricates different elements to the Mormon religion in order to gain the trust of the Ugandans. Uh, I love that show. I got to see it when I first uh, graduated college with my grandma, uh, which was very special to me, and. It, uh, it, it, it definitely was a hugely influential just in my writing style in general. I mean, South Park as well, which is written by the same guys, uh, has always been a big inspiration to me. The way, and, uh, you know, I, I've learned a lot from them by watching the way they craft story structure, uh, a rule that's always stuck with me that they talk about. And they, I mean, uh, it's, uh, Matt Stone and Trey Parker, the writer and creators of uh, South Park and the Book of Mormon, uh, they talked about, uh, you know, when you're, crafting a structure of a story between every scene you should replace your and then like in other words this happened and then this happened and then this happened you should replace all those and thens with but or therefore uh and so that keeps you know so now it becomes this happens but then this happens and therefore this happens and therefore this happens but then this happens you know it really is a simple tweak but it keeps your story flowing and in a way that Everything is for a reason and nothing is for nothing. Uh, so it's a very simple lesson I learned from them, uh, but, and a lot of lessons just about comedic tone and, uh, you know, how to juxtapose really hold, like I was talking about, I think they do that beautifully, really wholesome intentions with a really crass, lewd uh, language and situations. Uh, I think it's just such a great recipe for comedy. <laughs> so I, I definitely took that, that from them and certainly their, their irreverent spirit, I hope I, I can try to model it in my own way. Well, let's see, you've also played quite a few different different types of roles. You went, you were in Book of Mormon, you've got your own show, but you also played Frankenstein, or Frankenstein, and Young Frankenstein. How did you, yeah, how do you yeah. choose these divergent roles? Uh, he would say, that's Frankenstein. Uh, Frankenstein. Yeah, uh, uh, Gene, yeah. Gene Wilder. <laughs> that's right, that's right, that was the role, yeah. Um, I mean, you know, that was fresh out of college. So, I mean, this, now I'm choosing my roles now that I get to, uh, now that I'm doing my own shows. But when you're a musical theater actor, you don't really get to choose your roles, do you? You get to, uh, you get to audition for as many roles as you can make time to audition for or as, who will see you for an audition. And then uh, they tell you what role you're playing. <laughs> uh, so I, I, that, I was lucky enough to get a, an audition right out of college where they said uh, they would give me the chance to play Dr. Frankenstein on tour for nine months uh, if I was willing to sleep on a bus a lot of the time and uh, go to Butte, Montana. And uh, nothing against Butte, Montana, but uh, those were the conditions. <laughs> and so I said, okay. And you take what you can get. That's right. I mean, I, I earned my stripes big time during that show. I had a lot of fun doing it. People, people loved that, that show. You know, they're big fans of the movie, and so people would come and have a great time uh, remembering all their favorite lines. And I, I loved the cast that I, that I got to do it with, and I made some great friends uh, forever from that show. Uh, but it's also really hard, you know. You, you're, the schedule is grueling, and I think I only could have done it because I was 21. 
Uh, you you also have uh, several film credits. Uh, what tell us what they were and what you did? Oh sure. Uh, yeah, most recently I was uh, I, I got to be in uh, not a it was a TV show. I was in a uh, Fosse Verdon. Uh, I got to play John Kander uh, from the uh, composer lyricist uh, writing collabor uh, writing partnership uh, Kander and Ebb John Kander and Fred Ebb. Uh, so I get to, that was my first real time on like a proper TV set. And that show was so amazing. You know, uh, Sam Rockwell and uh, Michelle Williams were just incredible. And, and the fact that I got to do scenes with them and uh, was, was such a trip. And that I was sitting in the uh, hair and makeup, uh, you know, trailers uh, for a few days with uh, Lin-Manuel and uh, Sam, you know, the, the cast of the show was very cool. And I, you know, I, I think that's one of the coolest parts about growing up and, getting to become a professional in this industry but still being fairly young is I'm 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 so in touch with who like just how geek how geeky I am in terms of my fandom for these people and now I'm getting to work with them and sit side by side with them and just play it cool and try not to ask for too many pictures you know because uh, <laughs> it, it it gives me sort of like when people are doing that to me if, if you know among the small subsection of fans uh, fandom that I have and fame that I have personally uh, it gives me a sense of like I know who you are because I'm exactly the same for Sutton Foster. You know, like I I'm go I'm I I get to be friends with Gavin Creel. You know, I get to text Gavin Creel sometimes because we we know each other now. We've 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 worked uh, close enough. But I'm I'm still just totally in awe of this man and can't believe that I get to have his number in my phone book. You know, uh, I'm such a fan and. Uh, so I felt that way a lot on that show because there were a lot of cool people. I got to meet Nate Cordry, Norbert Leo Butts, uh, yeah, just the people that I've I've grown up loving from from you know from Nate Cordry from The Daily Show, Norbert Leo Butts from the last five years. Those things that they've since gone on and done lots of other things in their careers and are just here stopping by to do a little role in this. And I I get to you know cross paths with them for a few days. It's, it's very cool. Uh, I think my other film credits are uh, there's one that I keep in there because it was a. Uh, a um, movie I made with one of my best friends, Ethan Cooperberg, right after we graduated high school uh, called Doppelganger. And uh, it was a musical movie. The tagline for it was the best sci-fi clone musical of the summer. And uh, we poured our heart and soul into that thing, and it's on YouTube. So I, it'll just stay in my bio forever because I don't care if I was 17. I think it's great. <laughs> well, because they say if you, if you really like your own work, it's good. That's right. That's right. You're just trying to satisfy yourself, you know? So I'm still trying to get the word out of Doppelganger. I think it might take off soon. How would somebody find that? <laughs> That's on YouTube. All on YouTube oh. for free. And look for good Doppelganger. All righty. Right. Right. We're talking about irreverence. You were also involved with South Park. I don't think there was anything much more irreverent on television than South Park. What was your involvement there? Yeah, so because I got to know the creators during Book of Mormon, they invited me to come into the writer's room for uh, an episode or two uh, during season 21. And I, they ended up, I don't know if they let me stay or, or, or if I just was quiet enough that they didn't notice I was there, but I ended up <laughs> being there for the, full, uh, for the full season, which was 10 episodes. And it was an amazing job. Uh, I, I, I got to sit in just an amazing masterclass in, in how to create a show. Because uh, that, that writer's room was only, you know, maybe eight people deep, and I got to be in there every day. Uh, so it was really like sitting, I felt like I was sitting, like, you know, I, I was hanging there with Michelangelo as he was painting in the Sistine Chapel. Uh, I, I felt like I was right there watching. Uh, so that was an incredible 10 weeks. I got to help uh, Trey Parker write a song. 
uh, for the show, which, and then I got to uh, get a bunch of eight-year-old kids to learn the song and record the song, and I got to record some voices for the show and sing in the chorus for the show, and, you know, I got to do a scene with Trey when he was playing Cartman right in front of me. Uh, so, again, I, I really feel like, you know, the producers of that show and, and Matt and Trey, I, I, I felt like they were saying thank you for the amount of time that I had put in doing, uh, doing their show, doing Book of Mormon. And they knew I wanted to be a writer and was trying to develop that side of me more. And so they, they basically just gave me a front row seat to come in and, you know, see how it's done. And I, I'm eternally grateful for that. Um, you know, the way that writer's room works is very interesting. You get, everybody just sort of pitches ideas and then Trey goes off and really, uh, him and Matt work it out and Trey writes everything, uh, which is an incredible, uh, feat that he's been doing that for 24 seasons now. Uh, okay. But hey, yeah. Jay, I'm going to cut you. Uh, we, we are running toward the end of our time. What are, what are, oh, yeah. just tell us what's next on your agenda. Absolutely. Well, we got shows every month at Littlefield in Brooklyn, Fake Birthday, and next, starting next month, or this month, actually, we're doing a Fake Birthday at City Winery as well in Manhattan for the Manhattan crowd. So that's Caitlin Cook and I uh, doing, doing Fake Birthday at City Winery in Littlefield. Uh, tickets available on aj-homes.com, aj-homes.com. And, uh, yeah, that, that, that's something we keep going indefinitely. I think we're going to be touring a little bit more throughout the Northeast in the winter, uh, perhaps out in Los Angeles uh, next month a little bit, uh, doing another fake birthday over there. But uh, for now, we're just focused on doing this show. We're going to film it and try to get it out there to the people. We're going to record an album. So, you know, if you don't get a chance to see it at Soho Playhouse now through October 16th, then I hope you check out the recorded version when it comes out soon or, or check out the album because uh, uh, okay. we've been putting a lot of hard work into it and we love it. Yeah. AJ, thank you very much. Our guest this evening has been as multi-talented AJ Holmes. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for tuning in to Travel Talk Radio and Theater. See you all next week. AJ, thank you very much. Thanks, Bob.